This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. for today, Friday the 25th of February 2022. My name is James Roy. I am your host. I am a program manager at Westwards and also a writer in my own right. And today it's, uh, well, it's a dark day today, isn't it, with what's going on over in Ukraine. Uh, I don't think, we're not a political organisation by any stretch, but we are an organisation that cares about people and their stories and their experiences. And so just from a human point of view, we'd like to uh, say that it's pretty unpleasant what's happening in, in Ukraine, and hopefully that will all come to an end fairly soon. But it seems kind of appropriate today that we might be talking about somebody whose birthday it is. He's not with us anymore, this particular writer, but it is his birthday today. He was born on this day in uh, 1917. And he wrote what many consider to be one of the finest dystopian novels ever written. In actual fact, I can, I can pretty much guarantee it is the finest dystopian novel ever written in three weeks because that's how long he claims he claimed it took him to write the book. And the book we are talking about is A Clockwork Orange and the person we're talking about is Anthony Burgess who wrote A Clockwork Orange. It's a novel that was published in 1962. It's a bit of a classic. The book is partly written in a kind of Russian-influenced uh, patois, I suppose. And anyone who's read it will, will understand what I'm talking about. And anyone who's watched the film, which Stanley Kubrick made, uh, of that same book will also understand that uh, it, the way he wrote it was quite, well, it was quite um, innovative at the time, I think. And at, at times it was tricky to read. It was sometimes very difficult to watch the movie. It was very graphically violent at times. There is a fairly uh, graphic scene of sexual assault. Um, and in fact, it's, that's an interesting one because it's not a, a graphic scene of sexual assault that you actually observe. It's it's one that you observe through the eyes of somebody forced to watch. And it's an interesting take. And it's, it's one that I do use from time to time when I'm doing uh, workshops or whatever on, on, on the negative space in our writing and the way that what is unsaid and what is unseen is often more terrifying or more impactful than the things that we can see directly. But that's more to do with the movie itself. The book itself was um, it was written in 1960 or published in 1962. He he claimed it took him three weeks to write the book. The story of a 15 uh, year old gang leader, dystopian city, a near future dystopian city. But I imagine that near future in 1962 and near future now would be a little bit different. But that's not really the point. The point is that they uh, they live in this world of what they call ultraviolence, which is this random and violent mayhem. And and the book itself is, as I say, it's quite quite tricky to read at times. The Observer called it cheerful horror. And 
they wrote, Mr. Burgess has written a fine farrago of outrageousness, one which incidentally suggests a view of juvenile violence I can't remember having met before. Malcolm Bradbury said, all of Mr. Burgess's powers as a comic writer, which are considerable, have gone to the rich language of his inverted utopia. If you can stomach the horrors, you'll enjoy the manner. Roald Dahl called it a terrifying and marvellous book, which is quite interesting because Roald Dahl wasn't any stranger himself to some fairly confronting issues, but also some confronting ways of, of expressing those things. And uh, The Spectator said it was an extraordinary technical feat that they were uncomfortable with a certain arbitrariness about the plot, which is slightly irritating. And uh, he, Burgess himself dismissed it as being too didactic to be artistic. He said that uh, the violent content of the novel nauseated him. Now, I know there's one other person I know of who talks about um, being nauseated to the point of sickness, and that's Jack Heath. But it wasn't a book that he... He tells this story in his in his uh, presentation quite often, but he talks about reading a book where the depiction of violence in the book was so graphic that he actually was physically ill from reading it. But Burgess is talking about his own book here, and uh, that's, that's an interesting idea, isn't it, that you would be so revolted by your own book that turn you to nausea. So the quote that we have today from Anthony Burgess, which is actually taken directly from the book A Clockwork Orange, he's talking about the difference between, or what it is that makes a man, what it is that makes a person. And, and he, he, the book is very much about this idea of moral ambiguity and what makes a person good or bad. Uh, and he says things like, does God want goodness or the choice of goodness? Is a man who chooses to be bad perhaps in some way better than a man who has the good imposed upon him. And he also said, it is as inhuman to be totally good as it is to be totally evil. So he was very interested in the kind of the space between, well, is there an objective moral good and objective moral bad? But, but he was interested in that kind of ambiguous space between them. I see what is right and approved, but I do what is wrong, he said. So he, he was also very interested in this idea of uh, knowing what is right and yet your human nature leading you down different path. Goodness is something chosen. When a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. The important thing is moral choice. Evil has to exist along with good in order that moral choice may operate. Life is sustained by the grinding opposition of moral entities. Or is it better for a man to have chosen evil than to have good imposed upon him? And there is a very graphic scene in the movie of A Clockwork Orange where he is forced to listen to a kind of music that he loves, which is Beethoven. He talks about having a good night of Ludwig van and some ultraviolence, he calls it. And he's forced to listen to a piece of music. And in the book, it was all classic music. In the, in the movie, I believe it was just that one particular piece from Beethoven, which you can hear playing in the background as I'm speaking. But the, the scene in the movie, and I think this was used on some of the posters as well, he has these little clamps to hold his eyeballs open and he's forced to watch these horrible confronting images while this music plays. And, and it's a, a way of, it's like a negative reinforcement uh, an aversion therapy almost. But this is a quote I really wanted to uh, to get to, which is basically the secret or the meaning behind the, the title of the book. If he can only perform good or only perform evil, then he is a clockwork orange, meaning that he has the appearance of an organism lovely with colour and juice, but is in fact only a clockwork toy to be wound up by God or the devil. I guess my point in drawing your attention to Anthony Burgess is that here is a man who was not afraid in his fiction to confront the big issues and ask the hard questions and actually come out and say, I don't really have an opinion on what is good and what is bad. I really just want to look at the space in between. 
I know people who have talked about this in, in terms of screenwriting and, and I, I know that I've mentioned in the past how much I love the show Sopranos and while there is a lot about Tony Soprano that is pretty much objectively bad, there's also a lot in the middle that is kind of arbitrary and ambiguous. And I think that makes for the more interesting art. I don't think anybody wants to read a story about somebody who's only bad or somebody who's only good. I think that that moral ambiguity and, and the complexity of a human and the complexity of a major character, or even a minor character for that matter, is what makes good fiction work. Because that's what real people are like. People, real people are good in some measure, bad in some measure, and generally speaking, I mean, I, look, I, I think that most people are good, to be honest. I don't think there's too many people out there, apart from some narcissists and, uh, and sociopaths who are pretty much entirely obsessed with themselves. I recently finished watching Inventing Anna, which is the story of Anna Sorokin slash Anna Delvey, the so-called German heiress in New York who basically duped a whole bunch of people into believing she was incredibly wealthy and then scammed them of money. But the whole story is about ambiguity. It's about, you know, is, is she, even she who comes across as this incredible narcissist, at the end you're left wondering, does she believe it or is it is something else? So what's the point of all this, apart from wishing uh, Anthony Burgess a happy birthday? The point is this, that uh, as, as creators, as writers, as artists, we shouldn't look too quickly for the overtly good, overtly bad in a character because that, it's not so much lazy, it's just missing an amazing opportunity to have characters who are, are broad and realistic and empathetic and sympathetic and and feel real and authentic. And that, that, of course, is what we should be trying to strive for as artists. One of the things we're very proud of at Westwards is our collection of digital offerings. Most of those can be accessed through, well, you're listening to one of them right now, but a lot of the uh, videos and, and other assets can be access through our Westwards official YouTube channel. And one of those regular programs, a monthly thing that we've been doing for quite some time now, is Poets' Corner. It's a monthly encounter with celebrated Australian poets and it's curated by David Odess, who is a poet. And each month a poet is invited to read and talk about their poetry on a theme of their own choice. And this month the poet in question, the guest poet, is Yang Yu, who came to Australia from mainland China in mid-April 1991. He's since then published 139 books of poetry and fiction, non-fiction, literary translation and criticism in English and in Chinese, including his award-winning novels The Eastern Slope Chronicle and The English Class, and his collection of poetry Songs of the Last Chinese Poet, which was published in 1997, and his poetry book Terminally Poetic, that won the Judith Wright Calanthe Award for a poetry book in the Queensland Literary Awards in 2021. He's also been shortlisted for several major awards. And uh, he also had a fellowship from the Australia Council for writing a documentary novel. And he is in conversation with David Odess. And I was going to say something more about what this poem is about, but look, you know what? I'm just going to let him read the poem and then talk about it, because that's kind of the point. Someone, someone is having a morning coffee. Someone is typing up an email letter to send somewhere. Someone is glancing out the window at the blue September sky. Someone is doing something. 
Someone is faxing something somewhere. Someone is receiving a phone call from someone else. Someone is dialing a number, but that number is busy. Someone is going to the toilet. Someone is doing something. Someone is walking upstairs for an exercise. Someone has chosen the lift. Someone is going down. Someone is coming up. Someone is opening a large parcel containing poetry submissions. Someone is writing a rejection letter to a novelist. Someone is thinking of some, someone else. Someone is doing something. Someone is having a little hangover. Someone is chatting on the side. Someone's mobile phone is ringing. Someone's laptop has just crashed. Someone is restarting. Someone is getting technical support and listening to the recorded messages. Someone is running whose high heels are being heard. Someone is turning his head. Someone is having fun. Someone is approaching 50. Someone is approaching 23. Someone is doing something. Someone is going to have a smoke outside the building. Someone is worried about his marriage. Someone is looking forward to her upcoming wedding ceremony. Someone is alive. Someone is doing something. Someone misses yesterday's fish. Someone is checking and rechecking a large sum of money. Someone is having a meeting. Someone is listening to birds, singing on his DVD. Someone is pouring tea into a pot of frangipani. Someone is doing something. Someone is looking at his screen. Someone is stretching his legs and arms. Someone is a little unhappy about a difficult client. Someone has just lost in the stock market through a lack of sleep. Someone turns his head to see the enormous head of an airplane near his window. Someone is meeting someone. Everyone is someone. And everyone, everyone alive is always in the middle of doing something. I'm interested um, in your choices in this poem of the many things people are doing and in the things that you have left out. For example, no one in this poem is dreaming. In a poem like this, how do you choose what to include and what to exclude? It's very interesting, uh, your uh, response to this poem. And uh, uh, someone else uh, in Adelaide, when she uh, read the poem, she was saying something about it. But my, this poem is specifically about a major event in history. It's about 911. You will notice that there's a September sky. Mm. The blue September sky in the third line. And you will notice the enormous head of an airplane near his window. Mm. So it's actually about someone sitting by his window and turns his head to see the enormous head of the airplane already at the window. Yeah, the clues are there. Yeah. So someone is meeting someone. The rest of it is history. Mm. So it's all in, 
about someone, all, all sorts of people doing all sorts of things in the lead up to that moment when the head of the plane is right at the window side. Mm. Something to be said about this, I, uh, I, I have a habit of not writing anything when major things happen. Some, some people do have that habit. If a massacre took place, if something like 911 happened, the next day they produce something, but often very badly written. Mm. Because you need the, the emotion, you need the things to settle to a degree. And you, you, you can't do it deliberately for that purpose. Of course, you, if you want to do it, you can do it. But sometimes the result is not that uh, uh, satisfactory. But this one, uh, uh, when I wrote it, is uh, nearly a, a month after the event, after 911. When I was, today I'm, I'm, I'm facing you, facing the window. When I wrote that poem, I was facing the other direction. I was working on something. When in my, in my imagination, I thought, I, turned, I just accidentally turned my eyes towards the window. And in that moment, fleeting moment, I imagined I saw the head of the airplane. And that one, I took it down and the poem was formed and done, mm. written. Mm. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, I, I should have cottoned onto that, but I didn't. So um... no, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's the beauty of it. Because if you make it plain, it's no good. You know, yeah. you have to make it uh, readable on different levels. Yeah, and this is what I've uh, called the mystery of poetry. I mean, there's uh, got to uh, be. Some... Uh, yeah, yeah, that, you're right uh, on that point. Because you know what, I um, I submitted this uh, to a US magazine. It was published, uh, uh, it was accepted, published, and then 10 year, in the 10 year anniversary, it was republished in that magazine. Mm. But the editor told me that when one of his readers read this, he actually stood up in his chair out of shock because he experienced the moment in mm. which he was seeing the head of the plane right at the window. Mm. And it's gone, you know? So obviously, and it's, the that shock moment could never be had. Yeah, only by accident. Can only be had by accident. You can't deliberately go in search of it. Hmm. This is this is what is uh, uh, good about poetry. So that was Yu Yang Yu talking to David Odessa about his poem, "Someone." And you can find that entire conversation with a whole bunch of poems and, and his take on those and his insights on those poems by going to our Westwards official YouTube channel. So please check it out. So we're nearly at the end of our podcast for today. But before I go, can I encourage you to... Go to our Westwards website, westwards.com.au, and you can subscribe to our newsletter and everything we talk about on the podcast here you will find. Well, not everything. We don't tend to talk about the birthday uh, quote of the day. That's something reserved for this podcast, but all the other news stuff you can find on there. 
And I want to share a couple of those news items with you just before I leave you. A couple of pretty, uh, I say a couple a lot, don't I? You ever notice that there's those phrases that you use all the time? I use the word just way too much. And I think I use the word a couple a bit too much. But anyway, here are some events that you might like to check out. Now, first of all, Matt Otley's beautiful creation, The Tree of Ecstasy and Unbearable Sadness. This is a, a stunning picture book. Matt is an, a, quite a brilliant artist, a, a very fine artist, whose book uh, How to Make a Bird with Meg McKinlay recently won, was co-winner of the Prime Minister's Literary Award for Children's Literature. But Matt is a really astoundingly good artist, and he's also a composer and a musician, and his groundbreaking work, The Tree of Ecstasy and Unbearable Sadness, which is being published by Dirt Lane Press, is a large-scale multimodal approach uh, project, and it weaves together literature, music, visual art in a uh, story of someone, it's an autobiographical story, in fact, of a boy's journey into mental illness. And Westwards, in association with Dirt Lane Press, are hosting a launch for this book on the 28th of February, that is a Monday evening. Uh, you'll f it's going to be showing at the Showville Cinema in Oxford Street, Paddington. Go to our website for information on how to book. It is a free event, but you do need to book. And I think seats are running out fast, but there's actually going to be a full showing of the, sh the film that goes with this and the music and then a Q&A with Matt himself. So please check that out. It's going to be a fantastic evening. And also, another fantastic evening is going to be a conversation with Yumna Kassab. Now, Yumna is someone that's worked with Westwards in the past, and she has written a book called Australiana. It is a book that emphasises the ways in which landscape, space and weather deeply impact rural communities and the dichotomy between how Australia sees itself versus its actual reality. And it's a collection of short stories in, in novel form, and it's published by Ultimo Press, and Yumna is going to be in conversation with Simone Wetton, who is the ABC radio broadcaster. And that is going to be at our new, newly minted Westwards Centre for Writing, which is at 41 Hunter Street in Parramatta. That date is Friday the 11th of April. We would love to see you there. You will need to book. Go to our website to, to get information about how to do that. But we would love to see you there because it's going to be a terrific evening. And uh, it's really the first live event we're going to be having at our new centre, and we're very happy about that and very proud of the place we're in. So they're the two highlights. Uh, anything else you can find by, as I say, subscribing to our uh, newsletter or going to our website. If you need to get in touch with us, you can email us at info at westwords.com.au or you can uh, call us on 1800-WESTWORDS. So that's pretty much it from me for this evening. Uh, I trust that you stay well and safe until we speak again in a fortnight's time. There's going to be a mini masterclass next uh, week. I think it's going to be with an editor, but we're still ironing out a couple of details. But in the meantime, have a great fortnight until we speak again, and happy creating. Backbeat.